What's up, everyone? I hope you're all doing well. It's been a while since I dropped a new episode, but I've been totally swamped with work these past few weeks. In any event, I'm super pleased to bring you a new interview and conversation I recently had with Dr. Sean Kelly from the California Institute of Integral Studies. I first came across Sean's work in the late 1990s and early 2000s in the book he co-edited with Donald Rothberger entitled Ken Wilbur in Dialogue, Conversations with Leading Transpersonal Thinkers. It's a fantastic book and it had such a profound impact on me that I eventually pursued a degree in religious studies at Concordia University in Montreal. That said, I can't begin to express how much of an honor it was for me to connect with Sean and learn a bit more about the history that led him to this book project. Some of the other subjects that we touch upon are, one, the relationship of the field of psychology of religion with transpersonal psychology and Ken Wilber's work on an integral approach to philosophy and religious studies. Two, German idealism and its impact on the field of psychology of religion, transpersonal psychology, and the founding of various consciousness studies programs across the United States in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Three, the rise of East-West psychology and comparative philosophy of religion in Canada and the United States following the 1960s counterculture revolution. Four, the ongoing impact of Carl Jung and William James on the field of psychology of religion and transpersonal theory. Five, finally, we also touch upon his other co-edited volume with Sam Mickey and Adam Roder on the variety of integral ecologies. I hope you all enjoy this episode, and like usual, make sure to check out the references and notes for further readings. Cheers. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Sean. Um, like Eric, I- glad to be here. Like, like I was saying, I'm super excited to talk to you. Um, I've been having so much fun kind of connecting with some of your graduate students and now colleagues as well. Uh, so this is, uh, I've been looking forward to this uh, ever since we ch- exchanged a few emails. I figured maybe we can go out and start because um, the first acquaintance with your work essentially I discovered was through uh, the Ken Wilber in Dialogue uh, book that you wrote with uh, with uh, with uh, Robert. Uh, actually, yeah, who's uh, Donald Don- Rothberg? That's right, Donald yeah, Rothberg. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, I guess my first question to you is, how did that project kind of get off the ground? Yeah, good question. Well, <clears throat> um, you know, I was actually in Canada when it began. I was teaching at. Uh, uh, well, I had been teaching full-time uh, at University of Windsor for uh, five years. I That was my first position right after graduating. And, um, you know, I, I my area of specialization was psychology of religion. Uh, and at the time, uh, and, and still to a certain extent, the, the leading edge, I thought, uh, theoretically speaking, was with um, Ken Wilber and Stan Groff. So I... Uh, Jung was my home base, but so I, I taught a, a course, a core course in psychology of religion, and I featured uh, Ken Wilber and Stan Groff, and you know students loved it. Of course, my uh, my older colleagues were not so thrilled, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know uh, transpersonal psychology, especially then. This is in the you know, late 80s, early and mid 90s, uh, was clearly outside of the pale of what was considered the the dominant and 
um, acceptable paradigm in religious studies and psychology of religion. So yeah, I was a bit of an outlier. <clears throat> I was holding that torch. Um, I had a few friends in Windsor and, and in Ottawa who were equally excited as me. But um, then when I moved back to Ottawa uh, and was teaching as an adjunct faculty at University of Ottawa in Carleton, continuing to teach that course, um, I was still more or less a voice crying in the wilderness, except for the students who enjoyed it and uh, a few friends. Uh, and, um, you know, in those years, especially even starting in Windsor, I, and then in Ottawa, I became increasingly aware of how many people that I was studying were concentrated in the Bay Area and somehow connected with California Institute of Integral Studies or Saybrook or some of the other institutions that have actually gone under in the meantime. Um, and uh, how did I meet? Um, oh, I know what. <clears throat> yes, I had, I had met Richard Tarnas when I was in Canada. Actually, I met him in Prague, but we, we were in touch while I was in Canada. And uh, he had been asked if he wanted to edit a special edition of a revision journal devoted to ah, Ken Wilber's work. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> and he wasn't particularly inclined to take up that, uh, that task, but he asked me if I was interested. And um, so I, you know, I was very interested. Uh, and somehow, I guess, Rick put me in touch with Donald Rothberg as well. And we started communicating, you know, me in Canada, him in, in Berkeley, I guess. Or no, he wasn't even in Berkeley yet at that time. But we we collaborated on what became two issues of Revision Journal uh, that formed the core material for what then became Ken Wilburn Dialogue. So to, for that core material, uh, we added um, uh, a conclusion as well as uh, Ken Wilbur's response to the yep. to the initial material, and then uh, each of the authors had a chance to respond. Uh, once again, to Ken Wilber's response, that was the dialogue part, um, and uh, yeah, so that was that's how that happened. So, but so yeah, it was the revision like, magazine essentially that was the hub essentially that that brought you yes, guys all initially. together to put that that initial connection. Okay, because I wasn't too sure if it was through the uh, the uh, Humanistic Psychology Association or you know the early beginnings of transpersonal psychology. Uh, association as well and stuff like that. Um, so I was curious right. to, to, yeah, to go well, through how how yeah. you got involved in that, particularly as a Canadian. So I mm. mean that's 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 the 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 interesting connection I was trying to kind of figure out. I guess the history of it as well. But your your background, if I understand correctly, you started off in English. Is that that's correct? That's right. Yeah, okay. English literature and. Um, uh, toward the middle of that, as an undergraduate, I had a kind of sudden and lasting conversion experience to uh, Jung. Okay. Uh, and then toward the end of my undergraduate uh, studies, I decided to switch to a double major in English literature and religious studies. Okay. Um, then I went on to do my master's and PhD in religious studies, uh, carrying through Jung. So for my master's, I, I ended up doing my thesis on uh, the Gnostic Gospels, which had recently been translated into English. I did a Jungian analysis of the, of the Gnostic Gospels. And then I went on to the PhD to uh, focus on Hegel uh, okay. and Jung. Um, so, but Jung was the, the main line. And it was in, in that, you know, in those early years that I discovered transpersonal psychology and, and Ken Wilber. Okay. 
Gotcha. Okay. And and if I understand correctly, you spent quite a few years, I think, working for the Jungian Association or Society of Ottawa, if I understand correctly. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I was in my early 20s and I was the, I guess, the program director for the, the Jung Society of Ottawa for a number of years and got to meet all kinds of Jungian analysts. Uh, my mentor uh, through you know my late undergraduate and my master's uh, degree and then on, on my doctoral committee uh, was John Durley, the late John Durley. I don't know if you know him, but... Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I picked up on that in some of your other uh, kind of con- online conversations. And uh, I had heard of him, but I, I'm not, I have never met him or... Uh, read specifically his work, but I had been familiar, you know, with him in the Ottawa area. So that's very interesting, particularly because of his relationship where he had some back and forth with Gregory Baum oh, I didn't at know one that. point, at one point or another, um, through some connections, actually through CIIS as well, but also through uh, Fordham uh, University um, right. and St. Michael's and mm-hmm. St. Michael's up in, uh, in Toronto. Mm. Okay. Fascinating. Okay, so so basically, so your graduate studies and in, in your MA, uh, basically, you spent was split between the Jungian Society and and Ottawa U, I guess. Well, the Jungian Society was you know just something on the side uh, okay. that I did, and but I was it was a great experience because I got to hang out with people who were interested in Jung and and meet all of these uh, visiting Jungian analysts. I actually wanted to become a Jungian analyst uh, at that time, but I couldn't afford a personal analysis. <laughs> so uh, I never took that route. But, um, you know, I, I did, uh, after I left University of Windsor, and there was a five-year period back in Ottawa where I could only get uh, adjunct teaching, and I was applying for jobs all over the place and not getting them, uh, I did put out my shingle as a, uh, a Jungian-oriented uh, counselor. I couldn't call myself a psychotherapist because I didn't have formal training. Okay. But I did. I did see clients for a few years in Ottawa as uh, a transpersonal therapist slash counselor. Okay. Um, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that was a good experience. But I'm. But I. But that clearly wasn't my destiny to be uh, an analyst or a, a therapist. No, for sure. Well, I mean, because that's, I guess, kind of my next question as well is that, I mean, because from the young, I guess your background with young, and then obviously you fell in love with Hegel. Hmm. Um, and I'm curious to, 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 to know a bit more about how that came about as well. But I guess, how did you fall into the whole humanistic psychology and transpersonal psychology realm? Uh, yeah, I you know I particularly on I, the American front because in Canada I guess Jungian psychology has always been quite popular I guess I could mm. say but in terms of like humanistic and even transpersonal psychology because uh, I mean it's 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 far and few between that you can actually sit down with academics or teachers or professors and actually talk about the field. Yeah, um, that's so true. Um, um, you know, I'm trying to remember what the first <clears throat> entryway would have been. Um, I, you know, I was fairly early on interested in what then was called uh, the new science, uh, or sometimes new paradigm studies, um, featuring typically the work of David Bohm, Rupert Sheldrake, Carl Pribram, uh, and others who were all uh, proposing a an alternative to the dominant, you know, 
mechanistic, reductionistic uh, scientific paradigm. So I was really drawn to that. And I think I may have discovered a Wilbur's uh, early book called um, uh, Eye to Eye, I think it is, a collection of his essays, where he had, oh. has this brilliant essay on, um, on the new paradigm. I can't remember what it's called now. But I started reading Ken Wilbur. And, and you know, my, my education prior to university was almost non-existent, my formal education. I mean, I, I was kicked out of high school in, in the beginning of grade 11. And uh, it was really a miracle that I managed to finally get my uh, grade 13 as a separate diploma without completing 10, 11, or 12. And oh, that, that, okay. that enabled me to get into university at the right age. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, I had a lot of catching up to do. Um, and even by the time I was in graduate school, I was painfully aware of um, the fact that I'd never be able to read everything I thought that I, I should have read. Um, <clears throat> but then I discovered Ken Wilbur, who seemed to know everything and, and, and have, a, you know, have a map, a really coherent, compelling map that um, like a skeleton key, much like Jung, I, why I was drawn to Jung with this theory of the collective unconscious and the archetypes that it enabled me suddenly to feel like, oh, I can voyage into this vast realm of other cultures, other worldviews, and I don't necessarily need to have read it all. So I think that was my initial attraction to Ken Wilber. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, even well, I guess all the people that I've interviewed, and one of the main reasons why I started the podcast is is the connection to Ken Wilber. I mean, Michael Brooks was a sort of a public figure and very inspiring figure that kind of drew us all into some sort of orbit and very excited about how he was, I guess, weaving in politics with integral theory in a certain mm -hmm. way and religion. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, guys like Jeremy and me and some other people, Matt, obviously, uh, Siegel, I'm very excited to go and see that out in the culture. So mm. when we start to connect, I mean, we start to reminisce, or maybe I'm reminiscing <laughs> in terms of how I came across Ken Wilber. And now discovering, I mean, this whole cohort of people that grew up on his writings, right? Mm. And, you know, and how that kind of fits in with, you know, in terms of your generation, obviously you're a bit older than I am. But I mean, also, you know, in terms of Ken's, you know, kind of generation as well. Mm. And so that to me has been really fascinating. But, but up in Canada, I mean, I was, you know, especially out in Montreal, it was a bit of a lone wolf. There's been, you know, a few friends and acquaintances and the internet has allowed me to go out and connect with all kinds of people. But formally, in terms of my back education background, particularly in religious studies, I mean, nobody wanted to talk about Ken Wilber. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so true. Uh, hey, by the way, do you, do you know Francis Charette in uh, Ottawa? Uh, no. Oh, sorry, not Ottawa, Montreal. Okay. Um, he, he's uh, semi-retired now, but he's, he, we were in graduate school together, but he's lived in Montreal a really bright man. He was head of the uh, consciousness, or maybe founded the consciousness studies program at Goddard uh, and oh, taught no there, taught there okay. for many years. Yeah. But he did his dissertation on Jung and spiritualism and uh, he knows vast amounts of, uh, yeah, he's like a, a, a walking encyclopedia of anything to do with Jung and comparative religion and Oh, okay. Yeah, because Goddard is another little hub. I mean, I guess, you know, obviously CIIS is kind of out in, in far away from where I am or in terms of Montreal, but Goddard, I actually know quite a few people that actually studied up at Goddard in terms of their mm. low residency program, particularly yeah. people in actually counseling psychology, actually, 
that we're affiliated with the Applied Human Science Department up at Concordia here in Montreal. Um, so that's actually where I found two homes, essentially. I found a home in the Applied Human Science Department. There's a lot of people with clinical psychology and counseling psychology background in that department. And then I had another foot in the Religious Studies Department. Uh, so I'd be going back and forth between both departments and desperately trying to get people to read Ken Wilber. <laughs> it, it, it really, it, you know, I, they were, well, actually, when I brought up Ken Wilber or integral theory, m two of the professors that I actually had, they thought I was actually talking about Jacques uh, Maritain huh. wow. uh, in terms of his integral humanism. And I was like, no, that's not the same thing at all in terms of, <laughs> in terms of uh, background and uh, well, well, it's interesting you bring that up because, um, you know, as you know, uh, well, seven years ago, let's say, if you had put in integral ecology, for instance, mm. uh, uh, internet search, it would have been 99% uh, to do with actually my, my, my friend and former student, uh, Sean Espion Hargens, yeah. um, uh, which is, you know, the Ken Wilber version of integral ecology. But now if you do that search 90 percent of it is pope francis's uh, exactly yeah. integral ecology from the encyclical yeah so no I, yeah. beyond excited about that as well i mean that's why i reached out to sam as well and i'm so excited to go and talk to you mm -hmm. about how that came about as well um but i guess i have one question in terms of your background with hegel i mean because mm. canadian idealism or Charles Taylor and his background in terms of related to Hegel. I was wondering if that actually had an impact on you while you were up in Canada. And, and mm. is that a bit of a reason why you went the Hegelian route for a while? Um, well, I mean, I, I remember I, I was happy to, I met Charles Taylor once. I still have his autographed copy of his Hegel book uh, when he came and gave a talk at the University of Ottawa, <clears throat> but it was actually uh in my last year, as is it last year as an undergraduate, or maybe it was a, in the master's degree at, at Carleton, in a course by John Dourley. Okay. Uh, he used to teach a course on uh, Teilhard de Chardin, Paul Tillich. Maybe it was just Teilhard and Tillich. Um, oh, and Jung, Teilhard, Tillich, and Jung. It was those three. And um, in one of his uh, typical lectures where the board was full giving his genealogy of the evolution of, of Western thought from usually Plato and Aristotle going through uh, Augustine Aquinas uh, um, to, um, to the modern times. He, he said a few things about Hegel and Jung, and he just threw out a, a few words about a remarkable uh, deep resonance between, uh, he between Hegel and Jung with their view of the evolution of consciousness as being, um, you know, the the gradual differentiation and uh, unfolding of a kind of, you know, trans. He didn't use the word transpersonal, but transpersonal spirit. And I that just I just noted that, and um, I started looking into Hegel. I didn't know that much about him, and and I quickly saw, oh my God, there really is some something deep going on here between Hegel and Jung, <clears throat> and I. Um, you know, I did a search for what there was at the time on Hegel and Jung, uh, and there was really almost nothing. There was just one article in uh, German. Uh, there were a few scattered references in Jung's works, um, and that was it. 
you know, and I thought, wow, this is remarkable because there's so much here. Yeah, so, yeah. I, so John Durley was the one who who planted that seed in in uh, in my psyche, and it uh, you know quickly blossomed into a major preoccupation that you know became my dissertation. Gotcha. So, and he he assisted you, or he was your supervisor for your MA and your PhD, or he was just somebody. For my MA, and then yep. he was he's the external uh, external committee member for my PhD. Okay. So by the yeah, by then I had gone to University of Ottawa, and he was still at Carleton. Yeah. So he was brought in as the external for the young part. Um, for my Hegel part, I had Theodore Jaretz. Uh, uh, from the philosophy department, who is who re- not too long ago passed away, major Hegel scholar uh, with H.S. Harris, another Canadian. They, co- they collaborated on um, all kinds of things, but I guess uh, more recently, the uh, a new English translation of uh, Hegel's Encyclopedia Logic. So he was oh. my Hegel mentor, Theodore Jaretz. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Because I mean, because yeah. the. Canadian idealism, I guess, if we can go and call it that, I mean, is, is or Hegel's impact on Canada or Canadian thinkers is, a, I mean, it's, it's one, I mean, it's an area of, of research now that's percolating more and more. I mean, I guess it's difficult for me to go and figure out if it's, you know, Charles Taylor had such a huge impact on the culture, but there's, you know, antidistance and, and other figures as well, you know, particularly German idealism or British idealism um, that, you know, that's had a deep impact on Canadian mm-hmm. psyche and, and culture. So mm-hmm. I, and I guess, cause with your background in English lit too, cause I, I remember reading that you were really into Coldridge and Blake. So was there any, I guess, inklings or interest in British idealism before you actually discovered Hegel or is it purely just discovering Hegel on, you know, kind of yeah. offshoot? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good question. And, and in fact, yeah, I have, um, no direct experience with the British neo-Hegelians. I mean, I you know I know McTaggart and Bradley and Bosenkat and so on, and I you know dipped into them, but um, I was never drawn to them. Okay, and they've had no influence on me. So no, it was it was definitely um, and initially with Coleridge. Uh, at that point, I was I was really more interested in Schelling because of the connection, oh. the more obvious connection with Jung, since Schelling was the first person to. Uh, coin uh, the, the word unconscious, the das unbewusst, and, uh, and Coleridge actually was the first to use the word the unconscious in English. Uh, so that was my initial, I guess, um, indirect connection with the German idealists through Coleridge to Schelling. Okay. But then when I, when I discovered Hegel, uh, I found, uh, to me, an even more uh, robust and generative uh, dialogue partner with Jung than Schelling. You know, like there's a lot there in Schelling, but you know, uh, the it goes much deeper. I think uh, with yeah, Hegel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So and so in terms of the book, I guess the uh, the, the Ken Wilburn dialogue book. Once that went out and started up that particular project, is that when you end up you how you landed up at CIIS? Or how, how did that transition actually happen for you in terms of, I mean, yeah, they, Ottawa they were, to California is quite the jump too. Yeah, they were, they were sort of happening at the same time, but, um, uh, you know, I was in my, um, my period in the desert, as it were, those five years in Ottawa after my uh, full-time appointment in, in Windsor, uh, wondering whether or not I'd ever land a, 
a full-time position. I couldn't get anything in Canada. Mm. Uh, I came that close to getting the only position in the psychology of religion uh, in Canada, in Toronto. And it was down to me and my former best friend. Um, and I made the mistake of giving my talk on uh, Groff uh, and, uh, you know, mentioning psychedelics, I think. Whereas my friend, my friend gave us on Freud uh, and he, he got the job, but anyway, uh, and I'm sure he deserved it. And he's, you know, he's, a, he's an amazing scholar, but I was crushed at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, at a certain point, it was 90, I think it was 92. I, I heard that the International Transpersonal Association was having its meeting in Prague and um, Stan Groff, uh, whom I had, uh, I guess I had met once by then. And um, he was, he was a president of the ITA. And I looked at the, the lineup of speakers and everybody who was anybody in the transpersonal and new paradigm world was going to be there in Prague, including, including David Bohm. And I had already met David Bohm, you know, a couple of times and, and uh, we had corresponded and, but I'd met him at Brookbeck college in London. And so I just maxed out my credit card, uh, uh, and went to Prague <laughs> for this conference. Yeah, yeah. Um, and oh, yeah, I had, that's right, I had um, discovered Richard Tarnas's recently published book, The Passion of the Western Mind. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just blown away by it. I mean, I, I remember picking it up just, you know, by chance, as it were. And I immediately went to the index and, and checked if, if there's any references to Hegel. Oh, good, Hegel. Uh, I bet you there's no Jung. I checked, wow, Jung. And I said, just for a lark, I'm going to look for Groff. And Groff was there too. So it was Hegel, Jung, and Groff in the index. So I bought the book, read it cover to cover. And it just, you know, I'd never read a more brilliant or beautifully written book before. So I heard that Richard Tarnas was going to be at this uh, conference as well. Okay. So I went, to Pro- I went to Prague. I attended Rich- Rick's lecture, talked to him after. And we only had a five-minute conversation, but we we just understood each other immediately yeah i went i went back to canada and uh um about a year later i somehow he had tracked me down he wrote me a letter this is before really email or anything like that and asked if i'd be interested in writing a review of the passion of the western mind for the san francisco young institute library journal and oh my course, god okay of course yeah. i was thrilled and i wrote that and in the meantime, he had just started this program at CIS. He had been invited to teach at CIS, and we founded the Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness program. Um, so, you know, I made a trip to San Francisco to the old school. I met Rick there, um, and then I went back to Canada. And then the next year, he called me, and uh, he the program was doing well, but he wanted to get to work on his his next book, Cosmos and Psyche, and he knew he'd never do it if he was directing the program. So he invited me to come and teach. And, no. <laughs> um, but it was just for one quarter, you know, not even a semester, it was one quarter. Yeah. And I, I had to decide. I left my homeland, my relationship, my, you know, my home, everything that I knew for this uncertain um, gig teaching one semester at CIS. And oh my uh, God. as soon as I got here, I knew that this was my home. Uh, and that was 20, you know, 25 years ago. Unbelievable. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, because I mean, I love this history in the background of it and the connections that, you know, like that everybody's had, particularly through the humanistic and transpersonal psychology movement. Mm. Like your book is is an amazing tome of articles and the people in that in that book are amazing as well i mean they've had they've all had a massive impact on me uh, mm -hmm. not only reading that but i mean as figures you know in terms of whether it be in the, the meditation community the buddhist community and stuff like that and you know humanistic and, and transpersonal psychology so so you landed there at the beginning <laughs> of the founding of the program i, I didn't right. realize that so you were Basically, from so and Brian Swim was there as well. So he was, he was there, yeah. Brian yeah. Swim and yeah, Charlene Spretnak, Dave Dulancey. I mean, Ralph Metzner wasn't in our program, but he had been in discussions for the founding of the program. He was still okay. at CIS. Uh, Stan Groff was in our program, there, te yeah. teaching with Rick. Um, yeah, it was it was surreal because suddenly everything that had been sort of in the implicate order or the or the or the you know the the ether of my spiritual intellectual world suddenly became the figure uh and and that's you know that's where i was uh so like a figure ground gestalt switch um so in ottawa it was all sort of internal and a couple of friends yeah and yeah. and then suddenly this was my environment and um yeah it was it was bizarre yeah, no, it's it's an amazing story, and now I mean, how you guys have passed on, and your your graduate students now, and the work that they're doing now as well, and the impact that they're having out in the culture is is amazing to me to go out and watch and witness because there is this new generation moving on now, yeah. you know, like Sam and and, uh, uh, and Matt's work. I mean, it's unbelievable work. They're yeah. so inspiring, and I mean, they're still so young. I know, <laughs> I know, they're amazing. They really are. We're so we're our program is so lucky that they came on board, and you know now with um, you know Stan uh, retired, uh, Rick uh, semi retired, Robert McDermott retired, Brian semi retired. So yeah, I'm I, I came in as the young kid on the block, and now I'm the elder. Yeah, uh, yeah. which is which is strange, but I feel so grateful that um, you know there's Matt and Jake, and now our new. Our newest faculty member, Jack Bagby, who just arrived, uh, we're expecting good things from him and Elizabeth Allison. Um, yeah, so it's excellent. No, I mean, I'm mm -hmm. so happy to go and see that sort of intergenerational sort of torch being passed on as well there. And mm -hmm. this new generation is is exciting to go out and watch. But I guess now reflecting back on the humanistic transpersonal psychology and how it eventually became sort of integral theory. Because I mean, there was some pretty <laughs> uh, interesting back and forth and riffs and, and <laughs> clicky type stuff as along the, uh, along the way. Well, even before your time, because I remember reading in the uh, the Journal of Humanistic Psychology how Wilbur had had a bit of a riff with Rollo May and Paul Tillich. Huh. I wasn't aware of that. In terms of, I mean, it was Albert Ellis, Rollo May, and and with Paul Tillich as well. Well, Paul Tillich was, I guess. Uh, Rollo May's teacher specifically, mm -hmm. but there's a few articles in there that uh, that I mean it really had an impact on me and to go and realize that you know why there was this rift between humanistic psychology and transpersonal psychology uh, or ex well hu existential humanistic psychology and how mm -hmm. there was a bit of a split there which would eventually became known as transpersonal psychology. Mm. Um, so I guess now, I guess even you reflecting back on those that history now, I mean, how how do you how do you see it now? Do you think uh, 
transpersonal psychology was a necessary development, I guess, within psychology and philosophy? Or mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you view that right now yeah. personally for yourself, yeah. looking back on that history? Well, um, you know, on the one hand, I see Western psychology as being transpersonal in its origins, at least, with, uh, you know, uh, Theodore Gustav, Gustav Theodore Fechner uh, and uh, William James. Yeah. So the, the German and the American beginnings of, um, of psychology were both transpersonal. Uh, and then Jung, of course. Uh, so these, these three figures were, uh, Jung even called the collective unconscious at one point, the transpersonal unconscious. So I, I feel it was there in the beginning, but then got, of course, got eclipsed by uh, how Maslow, you know, famously described it as the the first and second forces of uh, behaviorism and psychoanalysis. So um, then, of course, we have the '60s or the countercultural movement in general, which uh, brought in the humanistic movement and the human potential movement more broadly, uh, but also the opening to both non ordinary states of consciousness primarily catalyzed by LSD and, and uh, but other, other uh, substances as well. And the opening to the East yeah. um, with the, the lifting of the Asian Exclusion Act. So there are much more free flow of, of teachers and, and people uh, from East, particularly to the West Coast. So all of that, uh, that countercultural environment was the matrix out of which and toward the end of which, uh, the formal founding of transpersonal psychology occurred, like in around 1970 with, with uh, Groff and Maslow and Sutic. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Groff seems to be the one who, who gave it the name. And then the journal was founded at that time. So I see the transpersonal psychology movement as the formalization uh, in thought, uh, which occurred at the the sunset of the counterculture, much in the same way that German idealism, uh, and partic particularly with Hegel's synthesis, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, Schelling as well, uh, how that occurred at the, the sunset of that other major, you know, mini axial age, we could call it, uh, that uh, coincided, you know, with uh, the end of the Enlightenment, the French Revolution, and the, then the Romantic movement. So as that as that came to a close, you have this, um, in a sense, formalization in, in the thought realm of um, that mutation of consciousness in which gave us German idealism. So I see transpersonal psychology from a theoretical point of view, at least, as being a, a resonant, in, in a, a kind of resonant phenomenon with what we saw with German idealism uh, in that former period so yeah, I see that. I see that quite clearly as well. There too. Do you? Well, and the other thing too is, I mean, it's just the amazing place that CIIS is, right? I mean, mm. the original school of East Asian studies as well. So, I mean, that that confluence of East-West psychology is so strong there, um, mm. and is so present in, in Wilbur's work as well. So, I mean, I guess that's another dimension there that uh, you know, and I guess it's East-West philosophy or comparative philosophy as well that you guys have been doing and pioneering out there for decades now. Yeah, it's I mean, so it's, true. 
you know, in yeah. terms of how that came about and stuff like that. Because I, I do tend to get, I guess, kind of lost, I guess, in terms of how transpersonal psychology or even humanistic psychology has been overshadowed, I guess, at times by positive psychology and cognitive science now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just get so frustrated with that. I just feel like, you know, like there is a whole slew of intellectuals and scholars that I feel that just don't get the props, I guess, you know, <laughs> in, in yeah. positive, psycho positive psychology and cognitive sci these days. And I think that's such a shame. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's you know. true. Yeah. Yeah, it seems, uh, yeah, theoretically, it seems so um, often uh, so thin and uh, with um, many attempts to uh, arrive at formulations which, you know, were already formulated <laughs> previously, yeah. often in more complex and, and generative ways. But, mm -hmm. No, for sure. Yeah. No, and I, you know, and I guess that the human potential movement as well, right, is, is that there's there's the good, the bad, and the ugly of the human potential movement in a certain way that uh, I feel academics, and particularly, they're very dismissive. And that's something I experience personally in, uh, in religious studies, mm -hmm. that, you know, studying religion in North America, if you were interested in East Asian studies or, you know, Buddhism in North America, it was just like frowned upon. It was like, well, no, we don't study it in North America. And yet, mm -hmm. you know, that's to me was what was so interesting. It was this confluence of, of and transmission of cultures, you know, that happen mm -hmm. all across North America. I mean, whether it be German idealism from, you know, from from the West and you know, now Buddhism and Hinduism and thinkers like Sri Aurobindo and stuff like that. I mean, they just had such a tremendous impact. Yet, I find, yeah, academic philosophy can be pretty snobby when it comes to uh, viewing some of these subjects, and I always. Uh, a bit frustrated with that. That's actually one of the reasons why I decided not to go out and pursue graduate studies and in religious studies, particularly. I just felt myself butting heads with people about that type of of clash there. It's mm, unfortunate. I didn't know things were still. Yeah, I've been. I've lost touch with the religious studies community in, in uh, communities in Canada. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really sure what's going on, but um, yeah, no, is it sure? Huh. And did, did you keep a, a correspondence as well with uh, John Dorley as well over the years since once you left Canada or did you keep in touch with some people here in terms of yeah well I, I um yeah John and I would have periodic contact uh, okay. not as much as I would have liked but I, I was glad that I um you know I saw him last time I was in Ottawa uh but four years ago um and you know short not that long before he died uh, fairly suddenly so um yeah i but not as much as i would like i mean I, I still have occasional contact with some of my old well most of my mentors are you know are are, are no longer with us unfortunately yeah, yeah, uh, yeah but um yeah i still have occasional contact with some of them and family but, up in canada as well do you have any family left here or i have a brother and sister who are still alive and they're they're both in gatineau Oh, yeah. no way. Okay. Yeah. And I have many, many, many cousins on my mother's side that I'm not, I'm not really in touch with, but, uh, okay. Yeah. A lot of Degangis and, uh, in, uh, the Ottawa area, probably quite a few Kellys and 
Maguire's, but <laughs> but you know when you're here for 25 years, it's easy to lose touch with uh, the home homeland. No, for sure, yeah. And I, and you I, and I read as well that essentially I, I, you grew up Catholic, though, if I understand correctly, right? Yeah, very a very you know benign um, Catholicism in the sense that my parents were not especially devout. And when my my father died when I was seven, but up up until that point, we would all go to mass on Sundays together. Uh, after he died, my mother I think stopped going, but I kept on going, and I was an ultra boy, you know, until well, until probably my first. Uh, uh, LSD experience at 13 and okay. then that, um, you know, that opened up a whole other realm, uh, where I, not only because of that, but with puberty as often happens, I, I no longer felt the need to, to go to church, but, um, but the experience of the mass and, uh, although I never studied the Bible, having, a family Bible at home, which was an, an illustrated Bible, actually wonderful plates. Uh, and I'd spend most of my time with the plates. I wouldn't read it, but I would, but uh, going to mass, of course, I'd, I'd hear the liturgy uh, and it was in Latin at first. And then it was in French and, um, and seeing the images, um, not only of the cross, but of Mary and, and, but just the central right of the Eucharist, I think had a deep, deep, impression on my psyche at an mm. archetypal level so um yeah and mary so i i don't consider myself a catholic but um you know i'm a small c catholic i guess and yeah I'm, I'm but i'm equally you know buddhist and taoist as i am and indigenous as i am catholic now okay mm -hmm. beautiful yeah, no, I mean, and I mean, same here. I mean, kind of growing up in, in Quebec. Well, my parents, I mean, after the Quiet Revolution, I mean, they were so happy that that whole period was over. So luckily, mm -hmm. I mean, I was spared that horrible education uh, growing up. And, uh, you know, like we had, you know, I grew up with Alan Watts around the house. and Wow. And then eventually Ken Wilbur started to appear around the house. So my dad and my, my dad actually had a background in uh, counseling psychology and my dad actually studied a bit at goddard as well huh. he spent yeah because the y the he worked for the ymca up in montreal that eventually became concordia university um and they had uh, done quite a bit of uh well they would send either people to uh, to goddard or they would send people to, to you know to other universities and stuff like that to go and do ongoing continuing education so he did that while he was there for for the ymca and so wow. Yeah, and he got exposed to American culture quite a bit. So, I'm, and I'm super thankful for that because, I mean, I got exposed to you know the the, the 1960 counterculture, <laughs> the beat beatnik stuff as well. And so I'm so happy that that they came to infuse um, our culture in Quebec, yeah, um, and stuff like that. But in terms of uh, because, but it's purely English or Irish, Irish Catholic, if I understand, was your background mostly in terms of the family, right? Or is there some well, French mix there? Father was Irish Catholic, mother was French uh, Catholic. Okay. Um, and I went to a French school from grade one to grade eight. Okay. Uh, in my, yeah, I was an ultra boy in a, in a French Catholic uh, church, uh, Saint Genevieve. Um, and I'm grateful that I had. Uh, you know, no traumatic experience with uh, the Catholic Church or, uh, yeah. 
you know, I know many have, but um, yeah, mine, that's, that's why I say it was quite benign. And um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Actually. No, for sure. And, and the, the, I guess, since your mother was uh, partly French, is that why you ended up going to study with uh, Morin in French Morin. a bit? Or yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I had I not been a, so I, um, you know, I went to French school up to grade eight, even though I almost never spoke French. My my um, you know, spoke English with my friends and English at home, and uh, but and I had a major complex being one of the only non francophone francophones in a French school. You know, all my friends were like. Uh, you know, Pierre, uh, Pierre Laflamme and uh, Julie, yeah. you know, Julie Rose, whatever. And and I was seen Kelly. <laughs> Sean, you know, Sean, there was Sean Kelly and Jack Corkery. You know, we were the only two um, non-French <laughs> non people. About, yeah. So I had a major complex growing up speaking French, but it gave me at least a foundation uh, for speaking it and reading it. Yeah. And then in... Um, my doctoral studies, we had uh, only one required seminar, uh, and the chair of the department at the time, Roger Lapointe, uh, I did the seminar with him, and he had been in correspondence with Edgar Morin, uh, and he had us read Morin's uh, first two volumes of uh, La Méthode, of Method, the only two that had appeared at that point. Uh, la nature de la nature and la vie de la vie, the nature yeah. of nature and the yeah. life of life. And when I read these, I thought, oh my God, this is so Hegelian, you know? <laughs> um, and <laughs> I, was doing, I was working on my dissertation on Jung and Hegel, so everything is Hegelian. But Morin really is uh, strongly influenced by Hegel. And um, yeah, so I, I, uh, I wrote Morin in Paris and um, I applied for a, the France Canada graduate scholarship to do a postdoc uh, with Morin, uh, but it took me longer to do my, a year longer than I had expected to do my dis dissertation. I got the, the scholarship though. Uh, so I took a year leave of absence from the, from the doctoral studies and went to Paris for a year uh, to study with Morin. And uh, you know, that was, uh, that was so transformative for me. I mean, he, um, you know, he became, along with Jung and Hegel, you know, the, the three most important intellectual sort of spiritual mentors. Um, yeah. And he's, a, and he's a towering figure oh my God. in French yeah. culture as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. not only philosophically and from a, you know, system science perspective on things, but also politically as well. I mean, he was very involved on the left <laughs> post 68, yeah. Uh, with a lot of people around that time there too, as well. Um, and I guess that was the, the other thing too, that kind of like when I start to see that and see that in, in terms of your own personal history and stuff like that, I was wondering if if uh, his politics had an impact on you. Mm. Yeah, well, he's certainly, I mean, my my natural tendency is I, I'm way to the left. I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I guess I, I can't, <laughs> I don't like labels, but uh, I, I tend towards communism in, in a in a classical, you know, uh, particularly in, in, in more enlightened readings of, of Marx. Um, 
which is something uh, we don't talk about a lot in integral circles, I find. No. Which I think is interesting true. as well. I it, like cause some of the circles that, you know, like with Jeremy and Matt, that's that's and particularly with Michael Brooks, that came up a lot because Michael Brooks veered very much to the left around Occupy. And he's mm. always has been a self-identified Marxist. And the interesting thing that he was doing out in the culture is is weaving integral theory in with sort of left-wing politics. Mm. And there's a generational sort of thing going on now as well within the sort of integral movement now where people feel that, you know, the integral movement has been sort of a very sort of neoliberal sort of vehicle uh, for, uh, or I mean, possibly integral theory just sort of adopted a neoliberal sort of business sort of motif Mm. to go out and spread throughout the culture. And some people have had that kind of critique. So I was curious to, you know, like not that you, when I I saw that you went out and studied in France and you were studied with Morin, I was curious to see how, how much of an impact his, his thinking from a political level had an impact on you. So it has, that's really. Oh yeah. And not so much uh, to, um, I mean, not so much to lean me or, or strengthen my leaning to the left since I was already there. Uh, but what Morin has helped me um, try to cultivate, you know, is a, uh, a more complex attitude and uh, yeah, a more complex uh, to try to, to try to come to a more complex understanding and analysis of, of the political situation um, and to be wary of, of even, you know, the easy, at least easy uh, uh, polar, not polarization, easy dichotomy between right and left. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, personally, I have no qualms about identifying the right and condemning it and resisting it. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but I also recognize that the simple distinction between right and left often is, is not enough. One needs to be more, more specific. Yeah. Um, so Morin helped me in that way with his uh, his mastery of uh, complexity and and uh, the need to to think in a complex way in order to be adequate to the complexity of our planetary moment. You know? Yeah. Oh no, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, that's the interesting thing too about CIS in terms of uh, you know Thomas Berry and and his impact, I guess, on some of the thinkers there as well, that there is this sort of Catholic underpinning, which is a very, mm. <laughs> the progressive wing, left wing of Catholicism in a certain way that is, has been present very much on, on, on that side of, of the culture in a certain way. And uh, I guess that's the other thing too, that obviously I'm super excited to talk to you about is, is obviously the work that uh, you've done now in terms of integral ecology and the weird overlap that that's now had <laughs> with Pope Francis's work in encyclical. Uh, like I had such a fun time talking to Sam about that and, you know, in terms of his Catholic background as well and how never really self-identifying as a Catholic and then all of a sudden, you know, doing this work and then all of a sudden having, you know, Pope Francis move into the mix and, <laughs> and, 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 and throw in this new twist. Uh, in the culture around uh, the integral movement. Mm. Yeah, um, that is fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, no, I've been blown away. So, but so at this point as well. So, I mean, you met 
when obviously you moved into the graduate program up at CIS, this is where when Sean came into the program as well. Yeah, guys... he, that's right. He 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 was my first doctoral student. Okay. I mean, the first my first doctor to graduate. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, he came probably when I had been there for about um, three years, maybe three in my third my third or fourth year there. Sean Sean came as a student mm -hmm. okay amazing and and now there's you guys from this work that you guys have been ongoing and the dialogues that you guys have been having around the idea of integral ecology along with humanistic and transpersonal psychology has turned into a whole new program as well in terms of well there's an integral ecology track if i understand yeah. correctly yeah there is um i mean it's it's not a formal we do have a certificate that people can get in integral ecology. Uh, but in terms of the masters and, and PhD, yeah, people can declare that they, they want to be in this track. And, and for that, they just need to satisfy uh, more specific course requirements. And they, they end up doing, if it's in the doctoral uh, studies, they, they would end up doing their dissertation in, in that track. And that's what Sam Mickey did. Uh, he was one of the early adopters of this integral ecology track in our program and ended up writing his dissertation uh, on the verge of, of an integral ecology, uh, what is on the verge of, what was it called now? <laughs> on the verge of a planetary yeah, civilization. Planetary civilization, I think. Yeah, yeah that's right. I think that is. Uh, that's right. And um, where he brought his own, you know, unique uh, uh, gifts and, and genius to this, this realm of uh, integral ecology. Um, but um, yeah, so before the Pope's encyclical, uh, I had already, uh, what, um, come to the, I had already formed the desire and, and commitment to try to help cultivate uh, a more diverse engagement with the idea of integral ecology. Okay. Which is why I started referring to it in the plural, integral ecologies, because okay. at, at first, if anybody heard, if it meant anything to anybody, they would immediately think of Ken Wilber, which is fine. Uh, but I was aware that, well, for one, Thomas Berry is the one who seems exactly. to first use yeah. the term integral ecology. Uh, but then Leonardo Boff, uh, liberation theologian, had been using it. He probably got the term from Thomas Berry, but he had his own vision of integral ecology which was strongly influenced by Thomas Berry. And as it turns out, uh, not only Brian Swim, but um, Edgar Morin. I mean, I wrote uh, Leonardo Boff and asked him, you know, who were your main influences? And he said, uh, Thomas Berry, you know, Brian Swim and Edgar Morin. No way. Wow. And Leonardo Boff was drafted by Pope Francis uh, as his main guy for the chapter on integral ecology for the encyclical. <laughs> so unbelievable! Wow. That, that, oh, yeah. So yeah. So that. So when the encyclical came out, I said, oh, "Wow, wonderful!" At least there's one other, you know, uh, uh, competitor uh, and more than a challenger. I think you know he's clearly, uh, in terms of web presence, the the Pope's version has eclipsed the Wilberian version for now. Mm. Uh, but I'm I'm hoping and. This was our hope in, in putting out this volume, the variety of integral ecologies, that there would be a, 
you know, a more diverse field of inquiry uh, because, you know, for instance, Joanna Macy is, is I, I consider to have uh, birthed a remarkable, uh, compelling vision of what I would call an integral ecology that has both a theoretical and a practical experiential dimension. Um, there are all kinds of integral ecologies out there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I well, just the field itself. I mean, I think if Sam has gone out and really pioneered that as well, along with some other folks, is I mean, the the the, the relationship between religion and ecology now. Oh yeah, is this huge or the environmental movement? Yeah, it's a fascinating uh, new lens, I guess, to go and study religion as well. Oh yeah, which is a total yeah. flowering of of different thinkers and, and and way of looking at the world. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Joanna Macy is amazing figure when it comes to you know environmental stewardship and her, the work that she's done yeah and so she's she's had a major impact on you as well oh yeah i mean she's a dear friend and uh um she lives you know just a couple of miles away here in berkeley um we we co-taught together in our program for um about a decade uh the course on the great turning and then she retired and i now i teach that course on my own but um yeah, she she has become, yeah, uh, one of my you know main figures in the communion of saints that that inspire me. You know that, <laughs> yeah. that sort of began with Coleridge and 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 uh, Hegel and Jung, Sri Aurobindo, uh, Teilhard, Tillich, uh, Graf, um, Edgar Morin, and Joanna Macy. They're they're sort of my I'm glad I have one woman in there. <laughs> there are many women that inspire me, but in terms of, of those who have, you know, deeply influenced my own uh, thinking and, yeah. and teaching, uh, Joanna is, uh, is really at the center now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. No, I mean, in the, the, the whole sort of Buddhist psychology and the whole Buddhism in North America is, is a fascinating story in history in itself mm. in terms of how it's, it's transformed the culture. Um, you know, and I, it's had a tremendous impact, I think, on a lot of Protestants as well. <laughs> Interestingly, I find, I find a lot of my Protestant friends or evangelical sort of people that had bad Christian sort of religious upbringings and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, they'll flock to, to Buddhism or to the East. Yeah. And, and it's a great, you know, way for them to go and seek some sort of solace and sometimes healing and, and sometimes mm -hmm. ongoing education as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm so happy that, and that's even something that I did. I mean, I studied up at the Montreal Zen center with Albert Lowe for oh. almost a decade uh, while mm -hmm. I was completing my uh, degree in religious studies as well. And he's, you know, in the, in the line of Philip Keplow. So, uh, and if that wasn't there, you know, there was a big vacuum in my life sort of, you know, in terms of, the decaying church in Quebec mm. since mm -hmm. it's just very, it wasn't very alive. I mean, there was a few movement afters in terms of Thomas father Keating and through the integral movement mm. through, you know, contend contemplative and centering prayers type of stuff that, that, and Thomas Merton eventually came around and poked me again and said, you know, come back around and look at your own roots as well. But I mean, mm. don't, I mean, there's such a rich tapestry of religions now all across North America. Mm. Um, I'm so happy for that. Yeah. That. Yeah. And the indigenous, I don't know whether indigenous uh, spiritualities and worldviews are 
getting more attention in Canada. I mean, I know that there's oh, yeah. there's better representation in Parliament, at least, than than in the United States. But um, yeah, I don't know. well, it's, it's been a source of tension, but I mean, it's also been a, a big, uh, you know, uh, a sense of renewal as well for mm. for Indigenous peoples. I, I think that you know, there's been a uh, an infusion of of hope in some you know some leaders there that that you know that this is something that we should go out and cherish and it's something we should go out and maintain mm. in terms of our you know historical heritage and stuff like that. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, John Rawson Saul has has done a great job, I think, weaving in you know moving away from the two solitudes to sort of some sort of three solitudes <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the founding of of what Canada is and stuff like that. And that's a story that I I, I I cherish quite a bit there. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, but in terms of the, uh, the, the integral ecology track now, I mean, cause now you've written that book. I mean, Sam is doing quite a bit of work over at the, uh, the Yale, um, Yale forum on religion and ecology. Yeah. Religion and ecology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess where do you see that kind of going now? I mean, in terms of that, this is this, this, I mean, th- these moments have happened now with, mm different mm-hmm. influences within that that kind of track yeah well you know my sense is that the the planetary polycrisis you know as more might call it uh is uh is accelerating and, and intensifying um as we speak that um it's just becoming more and more obvious to to our students that uh, there's a crisis of the future. I mean, there, there's really, it's almost impossible to imagine even five years from now, uh, the world being better than it is. Mm. It's increasingly, it feels increasingly inevitable that we're heading into uh more and more challenging times with climate chaos, with uh, climate refugees, probable civilizational collapse. I mean, it's already, we're seeing signs of civilizational collapse in many places around the world. And even in in this country, uh, there are pockets where we could say that we're witnessing civilizational collapse. But once the, I think the inevitable, um, intensification of, of uh, destructive weather, uh, climate chaos and um, interruptions of supply chains and, and um, the food food supply, the global food supply, you know, let alone whether or not some sort of generalized war breaks out somewhere. Um, we're, we're in for really rough times. So This has got to me, this is the only, this has got to be the the focus for any responsible graduate study, any, any shaping of uh, scholars and um, activist scholars, which is what we hope to help create in this program is engaged scholars in one form or another. Mm-hmm. Um, who will take the, uh, yeah, who will take the seriousness of our of our planetary moment to heart, and and direct their their 
life path uh, accordingly. So the the integral ecologies track was really uh, an initial you know attempt to to create a space in an academic program where where one could focus one's attention on these matters, uh, particularly um, encouraging looking at the intersections of ecology, politics, social justice, uh, and spirituality. You know, religion, spirituality, this ethics. You know, let's say um, and. Um, you know, I, I you know, speaking of, of um, the variety of integral ecologies, I mean, I consider even, you know, this other hero, Canadian hero uh, of mine, uh, Naomi Klein, not Naomi. Mm. Yes. Yeah, Naomi Klein, yeah. Yeah, with uh, This Changes Everything and especially um, Capitalism Versus the Climate. So this is, I, I, to me, this was a, a noble uh, example of, of a movement in the direction of an integral ecology. So where, where she says that, okay, yes, we, if we're going to try to do respond effectively, creatively to, to, to climate chaos, I would say, people say climate change. Yes, we need to uh, get carbon emissions under control, but to do that, we will need to change everything, uh, particularly the political economy. But then she recognizes as well, but to change a political economy, we also need to change fundamental worldviews and, and uh, ethical uh, configurations and so on. So, um, so we have the environment, right? Ecology, with with climate change as a kind of strategic um, leverage point uh, on the one hand, but then necessary intersection with the with the political economy mm. uh, and ethics slash worldview spirituality. So, uh, to me, yeah, this is you know, it, if we weren't in this mess, my temperament would would be just more in the direction of, of metaphysics and and poetry and literature and, and music you know that's where my you know what I'm sort of cut out for but yeah. I, I've I've not forced myself but felt compelled over the years to turn my attention more and more to the accelerating planetary crisis and so my my most recent book uh, becoming Gaia on the threshold of planetary initiation is where I you know uh, gives a sense of, of where I, where I'm trying to make do whatever I can from within the realm of theory, yeah, uh, and and integral ecology, but um, yeah, we need to people to be doing whatever they are uh, temperamentally suited and karmically called to do, whether it's you know, theoretical or on the ground, whether it's really really local or whether it's you know more broadly. Uh, uh, political we need it all uh because as bad as things are and are going to get there is so much that we still can do to minimize the suffering and mm -hmm. to create conditions for some kind of renewal on the other side uh not knowing you know what will be possible but um if anything is to be possible, then it will only be possible if we do <laughs> what we can uh, yeah. now and over the next few years. So that's what I'm trying to, you know, focus my attention on. And, and the intro ecology track was uh, was my first shot in in that direction. Why well, the the coincidence of it overlapping with Pope Francis's work is to me because I mean even I guess when Sean wrote his book with uh, Zimmerman. 
the first time around in terms of integral ecology. I mean, I felt called to it to a certain extent, obviously concerned with the environment and stuff like that. But once I saw your tome come out and the, the timing with it, with everything else, I just thought it was so fascinating because there seems to be something in the culture also, not just, I mean, in terms of the environmental movement, but there seems to be a diversification within the integral movement itself. It seems to be much more granular. Like, mm. you know, it seems to have taken root, you know, uh, you know, in parts of Europe that I never thought, you know, like this would happen. You know, the conferences for a while were happening all, out on the West Coast for a while where you guys were. And then now all of a sudden it seems to have moved to some parts of Europe. Yeah, some, Eastern Europe, Russia, yeah. Eastern Europe especially. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, weird kind of quasi think tanks that are popping up around integral theory and applying integral philosophy and versions of integral education as well. Uh which I find fascinating too now that, you know, that the, the integral movement, if you want to call it that, what happened in the early 90s into early 2000s hasn't disappeared. It's still there. It's still very much present within the culture uh, doing its thing. And it, and it pops up every once in a while. And I'm mm. fascinating with the history of how that's undergoing and developing and how it's being transmitted as well onto to new generations and stuff like mm. that mm. Um, mm -hmm. so i mean and, and I'm, I'm, so I'm forever grateful that. i'm well i'm so grateful to, you know for teachers like you that have been doing this for over 20 years now in terms of you know passing on the baton and and doing the graduate work with students and you know, forging new colleagues now that are going on to different universities. Yeah, but you've been keeping the flame burning in Canada, which is which is great, you know, because uh, yeah, it must have had its challenges. Yeah, no, I mean, luckily there's been you know a few you know well, Layman Pascal is actually up in Canada. Oh, that's right, in uh, Thunder Bay, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. So we're kind of the lone wolves up in Canada doing our thing, uh, mm -hmm. and there's been pockets of stuff going on out in British Columbia as well. Mm. Uh, there was a few zine magazines that popped up around integral theory and humanistic and transpersonal psychology throughout these periods as well. Uh, kind of along the revision journal, not as impactful, I guess, as the revision journal that you guys founded and did work through. But uh, I'm, I'm excited about that history as well, how it's going to go and take form uh, within our consciousness as well. You know, there's mm. been some great tombs now or books that have been written on Eslin, uh, mm. the history of Eslin. And I feel that, you know, almost like there needs to be a good history book <laughs> on CIIS at one point or another and all the work that you guys have been doing since the early 80s all the way up mm. to the present there. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, it would make a fun story. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, huh. well, rock on. Listen, I, I don't want to go and keep you much longer either. I know you've been very generous with your time. Um, this has been a real honor for me to to go out and connect with you and and for you to go out and share this history as well. Uh, well, it's been a, it's been a delight, Eric. I'm, I'm yeah. so glad that uh, we were finally able to connect live, and it warms my heart to think of you uh, up in Montreal doing doing what you're doing, and that there's. You know the, the 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 connections are are still alive definitely yes and to be continued that's like how i i usually like to end it as well and great hopefully we'll have another conversation somewhere down the long down the run as I, well i look forward to that super well thank you have a great night